Welcome, everybody, to the Monster Baby Podcast. This is a curious romp through the worlds of mindfulness and improvisation. That's right. My name is Lisa Rowland. Oh, that's curious. My name is Ted DeMaison. And this episode is... I am so excited for this episode. <laughs> you are excited for this episode. Did my volume just get too, too high? Okay, he's watching. He's watching. All right. I'm so excited for this episode. We have a super special guest, Mr. Joe Bill. Yeah. And Joe Bill is, I will say, one of the greats of improvisation he has. A luminary. A luminary in sort of the, the modern, the, the contemporary improv scene. Yeah, improv and improv teaching. But go ahead and give us the, like, what's the rundown of some of his, like, bona fides? A founding member of the Annoyance Theater, a director of corporate training at I.O. Chicago, based in Chicago, has been working, teaching, training, performing for more than 30 years, Is travels all over the world, specializes in duo shows, so meets up with one person. He does done a lot of work with Patty Stiles, with Jill Bernard, with Dave Rozowski, lots of people from all over the country and the world doing duos with them really awesome philosophy of improvisation and how that spills over into into life. Yeah, and he happens to be in town here in San Francisco doing some training at Bats Improv and I was in a workshop with him and you're performing with him, yeah. right? And so we just like let's snatch him up yeah, and get a conversation. Yeah, let's get him. So we got some time with him and he is a, he is a treat. Yeah. I think you will enjoy listening to this. So this conversation was a long one. So we're going to break it up into a couple of episodes, couple episodes but I hope you'll stay for the whole thing because it's really valuable. And we went a lot of different places, some pretty vulnerable places too, uh, pretty revealing. Yeah. Um, but exploring the psychological, spiritual uh, aspects of improvisation, how our past experiences show up on stage or not. What does it mean to have an engineering brain versus an artist brain? This is a f- wide, therapy. wide range. Talk therapy. Talk about therapy. Mm. How, how that figures in. So It's good. Buck, some good shit, people. Buckle up. Yeah. <laughs> buckle up. But uh, this is our conversation with Joe Bill. We hope you enjoy it. Listen on. All right, well, here we are here at Lisa's apartment in lovely San Francisco with two of the Monster Baby podcasts and the illustrious... Joe Bill. Joe Bill. Look how illustrious Look I am. Look how you're shining. <laughs> yeah, you're thank shining you for joining us. That's a pleasure. You've been here for, what, like a week and a half now? Something like that? Uh, five days, maybe. Okay. Coming out to do some workshops at Bats. Doing workshops, doing shows, yeah. eating tacos, uh, doing a podcast, I hear. <laughs> That's That sounds great. That'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. And, uh, and you've apparently gotten Tacolicious in your time here. Uh, every night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've literally been every night to Tacolicious. <laughs> and part of the draw is they have a giant Corona. There's a 32-ounce Corona in an old-fashioned looking bottle. Beautiful bottle. And I got to say, that factors into my enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> and the scales of, not justice, the scales of decision-making for restaurants. Mm-hmm. That weighs heavily. Goes a long way. I, I, I don't think I told you this. So I took a workshop with you on Saturday, mm-hmm. which was theoretically called diagnostics. And so you were going to be working with the participants on their improv skills. More experience, it was just like dive into improv with Joe Bill, which was a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think I told you, though, that mm. Lisa had given you props to me long time ago like oh you have to meet joe sometime you, he's just great so when the chance came up to do the workshop with you I, oh absolutely it was oh. probably after the festival when i came home after wurzburg like, after wurzburg uh-huh. yeah. yeah so where did you two meet 
In a train station in, in Frankfurt, Germany. <laughs> train station in Frankfurt, Germany on the way to the same festival. Had we texted each other before? We Facebook messaged photographs of one another, of ourselves. Oh, where we... Because it was like, oh, who's traveling to the festival from Frankfurt? I get in at this time. I get uh... in at this time. Here's what I look like. Here's what I look like. Look for me. So yeah, so we met in a... in. I, in a Starbucks, a Starbucks. in a Starbucks right. in the Frankfurt train station, and I feel like I came up to you and you were on the phone with somebody. Yeah, that sounds. And right. I was like, I, and I, I silently you. waved to you, and you silently waved to me. I was like, do your thing. And you're like, great, do your thing. And I like got a cup of coffee and like came to the table and sat there while you like did your thing. And both of us had this feeling of like, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, there you are. Oh, you're in the trap. Even just in that first conversation. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Like right away. As I was talking to someone else on the phone, I went, oh, there she is. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yeah. And did you get to perform in that festival together? Did, we probably did like a maestro or a theater sports or something. Yeah. Maybe we did we? the maestro. Probably. But I don't, I don't feel like we got to play much. We did a clown workshop together. Yes, we did. We did a, we did a uh, stand and cry. Stand and cry. <laughs> stand and cry. Stand call and it a cry clown, clown workshop. workshop with a man who is leading my clown camp starting in starting in a week. Yeah. His connections are overlapping and cycling and spiraling. And I know a lot happened <laughs> at that festival. A yeah. lot happened mm-hmm. at that festival. Mm-hmm. But we took the train to Wurzburg together. Yeah. Cool. And talked and talked and talked. Yeah, it, it was as if. It was the same as if like five years ago we were two people who talked about someday going to Wurzburg together and we already knew each other and were familiar with each other. That's what it felt like. And we just got on the train and kind it was fell all... into conversation. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It was great. It was really great. Yeah. So fun. So fun. One of the things that appealed to me about the description of the workshop, and I don't remember if it was on the BATS website or if it was something else I read, somebody was saying something about you, mm-hmm. but described you as having a psychological and spiritual approach to improv. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's an accurate description? Uh, psychological for sure. And then I'm not, I'm really not sure what spiritual is. Yeah. So, it's. I mean, I guess it's one... It's better than having a religious approach to improv. <laughs> a dogmatic so, approach to so, improv. Yeah. Uh, so per, you know, perhaps the realm in which we find ourselves, some people would label it spiritual. Yeah. And I think for me, <clears throat> for me, it's the psychological part that feels like a sensation that some would call spiritual. So, <laughs> so I I, like that. I tend to be, I love that. Uh, I self describe often as like a Buddhist flavored atheist. Mm. <clears throat> and so, <I'm> curious. <clears throat> and so, because, you know, I'm in the camp of like, you don't practice atheism, you're just an atheist. It's, I like Ricky Gervais's, uh, I don't practice not skydiving. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, I'm just an atheist and I really don't, I believe there's, I believe there's an explanation for everything, whether we can, whether we can articulate it or not is kind of irrelevant. Mm. And then I think it was Stephen Hawking that said, uh, we can only understand our universe according to the questions we can ask of it. Mm-hmm. So all of that starts to enter in a realm where I just don't have time for it and I don't care. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and though I was, I was raised in a very Catholic family uh, I saw, to me, what I personally, <clears throat> the folly of Catholicism, and I I noticed a thing when I was probably in third or fourth grade, and I didn't know what this thing was, and I didn't know the word for it, and then somewhere around seventh grade, I heard George Carlin for the first time, yeah, and somewhere in there was the word hypocrisy, 
Mm. And then I'm like, what is that? And it seemed in the context of what he was saying, it seemed like, oh, that might be this thing that I don't have a word for. And then I uh, probably went to a world book encyclopedia, the internet of the day. Britannica. Yeah. And But then I looked up hypocrisy and I went, holy, I think I was old. Yeah, George Collins. I went, holy shit. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. it. And so I noticed a, I noticed a, uh, an incongruity, incongruity yeah, I think that between works. all the stuff people would say or like us just associated with a church service. And then oftentimes we would go to the mass that would be like the 10 o'clock mass. And during football season, that mass would get out about 1130 which was enough time for my father to make bets on the football games that would uh, begin at noon. Right. And then uh, and then that half an hour we would you know have to like meet uh, meet the other men in the church and shake their hand, you know, with a good firm grip and look them in the eye and you know all those lessons of sort of coming of age uh, <laughs> of coming of age and you know being a grown up and presenting yourself. Uh, my father was a salesman and a football coach he coached all sports but he was he played football for notre dame mm. and uh, so super catholic and he majored in he double majored in english and philosophy and he ruled in uh, a very loving but also very authoritarian way mm. and so if you didn't shake hands firmly with somebody and look them in the eye he'd pop you in the head or i did stand up for a while in an effort to avoid going to therapy because I figured I could just get paid to talk about this <laughs> to shit. To talk about your shit. <laughs> uh, and so my father, true story, there's five kids. And whoever, whatever kids were in the, the lowest amount of favor would sit on either side of my father in church. Ah. And we would fidget and throw elbows and stuff. And my father actually smacked me in the head in church one time and leaned over and said, Hey, quit fucking around in church. <laughs> <laughs> No, the ones who were lowest in favor because then he would have more control. You were just in trouble or, you know, it was, it's the, you know, uh, it's the craving of America these days that has us in this horrible position, which is psychologically, I think we all want an abusive stepfather in our life. And so... This is a different meaning to the seated at the right hand of the father. (laughs) That is right. Yeah. Or the same meaning as interpreted by said father, Uh, perhaps. Yeah, right, yeah. But it's, you know, it's like uh, suffering, punishment, the threat. You know, it's it's the Old Testament, the threat of everlasting uh, turmoil is manifested in sitting next to your father in church. (laughs) Yeah. in a way that be, that's you know my spirituality be, was based on a perception of what people called spirituality. My finding that to be kind of bullshit and um, disingenuous, uh, and people behaving one way on one day of the week and then back to their own bullshit the rest of the week. And I'm the oldest kid, and I'm the artist, and I'm named I'm named Joe Bill after three Joe Bills before me, all mm-hmm. of whom were like New Yorker. Uh, all played sports, all wow. played college football, all type A, all, you know, rub some dirt on it, keep going, you, you know, this type of thing. And I just like, I really liked putting on hats and wigs and costumes and dancing and singing. And that <laughs> doesn't play well on a football field. I'm going to play football. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> what position am I? Tight end. Please say tight end. Please say tight end. Please say tight end. <laughs> 
Oh boy. So yeah, so uh, uh, I, I I forget what the launch. Well, point so thus, you, that was your atheism. Yeah, that was my that was my atheism developing. So where does the Buddhist flavor come in? I think just practicing loving kindness seems like a uh, it seems like a good first step of why like why and what are we doing, and then I think um, being treating other people with like respect and like and dignity and elevating because improvisation I think is part of the practice is treating people with respect and dignity and elevating who they are in the moment, um, consciously or subconsciously, uh, as whatever the piece is, uh, as it unfolds. And I think it's, um, and I also think it's like, I'm one of those people that can easily buy into a conversation. That's all there is, is love and fear. I'm not a ruthless adherent to that, but I certainly, you know, that's a context I can speak in and align Mm -hmm. with easily. Mm -hmm. And so I noticed that uh, the majority of improv I end up enjoying seems to be from a space of love. Hmm. And the, the majority of improv I don't enjoy seems to have some presence of fear in it. Wow. So that's, you know, that's the, I think that would be the most specifically articulated Buddhist flavoring I can. That's great. <laughs> great. I could offer. That's great. cool. Artificial Buddhist flavoring. Artificial pump, Buddhist flavoring. Pump it on. Four pumps of Buddhist flavoring. <laughs> now so, with more stevia. So did, was, the, was the connection between sort of what seems to make sense in terms of how you live, mm-hmm. treating people with integrity and love and, and practicing loving kindness, mm-hmm. and improvisation and the, and the sort of guiding principles of improvisation, was the... Was the connection there clear to you upon discovering improvisation? Or was it like, I'm doing improv because it's fun and I get to fuck around and it's good, it's a good outlet, I get to perform. And then later that stuff set in? Like, how did those two things become become part of the same thing for you? Yeah, I think it's probably B. I think it's, um, the first thing was, oh, you don't need a script? Yeah, you don't have to memorize lines? That's cool. Yeah. And then in the, the ego of a high schooler... Uh, Oh, we get to make up our, our teacher let us make up our own improvisations once she kind of gave us some Spolin platform stuff. And the first things we were allowed to improvise were ideas for silent sketches. So Mm. like mimes and, you know, one to three minutes. And so I liked the freedom of being able to create something on the spot and then somebody outside going that and I'll try this and add this and, oh, Mm. we created something. Yeah. And then part of that, then the first time you improvise in front of an audience. And I think the very first improvisation I did was like a five people in chairs and it's an improvised poem. And so it's like the first person is, you know, da 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 And the next person, da 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 Next person, da 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 And so you go through three times and you stand up and you take a very presentational bow, which seemed ridiculous as a teenager in Indiana. But it, you know, it felt like a pretend status. It felt very Catholic, frankly. It felt phony. Like phony or begging for adulation that may or may not be there. Yeah. Um, and so I was aware of that, but at that point, you know, you're a teenager with a teenage ego and you know, I'm, I'm like a, uh, in high school, I was like a crossbreed between like a great Dane and a giraffe in terms of my gracefulness. It's <laughs> <laughs> a really great image. And it's, uh. You know, and then uh, with with evolving mom issues, like I wanted attention of of women, mm-hmm. uh, and and so I was just not the first point of reference for oh we should give this guy like love and caring, 
so I was a class clown and mm-hmm. I was um, I was always the friend of the good-looking girls who were in love with my friends, the wrestlers or the football right. players. Um, I was the guy at the cast party. No matter who you were, if you were a woman especially, and you drank too much Jack Daniels, I would ho- put my arm around your waist and hold your hair back while you puked on Mrs. Turley's rose bushes. Mm-hmm. And make sure you were safe. And make sure you were safe. Yep. Make sure you get home. I yeah. was that guy. Mm-hmm. I was that guy. And it's... Uh, and so for me, that was like, it's like giving the love that you hope you can get back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that started the horrible pattern that most improvisers have, which is we're able to love the shit out of everybody else, but loving ourselves. Mm. Hello, therapist. <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's, I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure when I discovered... I mean, I think meeting Del Close opened my eyes to like, oh, here's something tangible that's from another world. Mm. Um, Del Close being one of the early founders, if you will, of improvisation. Yeah. In the States. In the States. States. Yeah. I mean, I think. Viola Spolin, you mentioned earlier, one of the others. Yeah. So Viola Spolin, I think really we can go back and say, you know, post-comedia and whatever, like it's Spolin. And then in the 60s, 70s. It was Dell in the States. It was Keith in London. It was Augusto Boal in uh, Brazil. Right. Mm-hmm. And so those three are really, I think, the the brains that at the same time uh, were hipping into improv. And maybe David Shepard a little bit, um, who then would take some of... I think there was there's an interface between Shepard and Keith that I'm not quite sure I understand. Mm. I, I talked to Dell and I've talked to Keith both about each of them and their experience with each other. But with Dell, it was when I met him, I had done some psychedelics, um, not during basketball season, but during the summer. Um, and I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed LSD. Uh, and I got lucky, like the, the first couple times that I tripped, like I had like really kind of good advice or like launching points. And then that made me aware that made me aware of another realm of awareness mm. that then Dell would define for me. Is it retroactively? Mm-hmm. Like he kind of made sense of that. But he was such a he was a genius, uh, brilliant, extremely well-read person who was also just vile and disgusting and could be heartless mm. and uh, very you know, huge ego. But selectively, it was that thing where it was almost like a, a traveling jazz musician deal where if you could play your acts well enough and you could, you know, uh, talk hip, uh, if you could reference Dell's How to Talk Hip album or something that like you could work your way. In. And if you had a joint to smoke with them, it would, mm-hmm. it would help. It would help. Yeah. But I think because... Uh, the awareness of spirituality and other possibilities outside of Christianity or monotheism came to me and were articulated by Dell through drugs, that that gave me some type of grounding as I went through my drug phase, like in the 80s and 90s, of maybe I can do this for... Maybe part of my doing this is not just self-abuse or escapism, but also an awareness of something... Hmm. Uh, or the ability to perceive something bigger. Mm-hmm. So the improv became a way to give you access to possibilities that Christianity or that Catholicism didn't show you. Y- yeah, I mean, and I think, well, 
uh, and and then set you up for other explorations in, in with psychedelics and drugs. And- yeah, like I think that Christianity and Catholicism. Well, I th- well, let's just stick with what I experienced the most. But Catholicism is like short form. Hmm. Catholicism is just an ongoing game that you play, and then there's many short form games under the banner of Catholicism. It's just an ongoing short form show, hmm. and it's a show. And then, and even if the show is, um, I every. Uh, last Sunday of every month I work at the soup kitchen and feed homeless people with all the other people um, who have a cross around their neck. And then, you know, at the end we say rosary and we thank Jesus for the opportunity to serve these homeless people soup. And now don't we feel good about ourselves? Okay. We've checked that box now. Wow. Let's go home and, and, you know, and even as I say stuff like that, I'm always, I have a constant cynicism meter check on me. So what I, what I experience, I don't want to be bitter about, but it was certainly, um, the fear was how do I not do that? How do I do what is not that? Mm-hmm. And then what is that that I'm doing that is not that? Mm-hmm. Now I don't have to compare it anymore. Like mm-hmm. that's the three steps. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And do I, yeah, it, it's like, I don't want to live, I don't want to live as a contrarian, but I also like accept the part of me that is skeptical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lisa, do you, does that metric of love or fear or that, what's not, it's not a metric, a spectrum? Continuum. Thank you. Gosh. <laughs> on one end, we have love. Yeah. On the other does end, we have Does that continuum make sense for you? In, totally. In an improv, like when you're on stage, are you, are you acting from this one or that one? Am I acting from this one or that like, one? Does that, if you're on stage or you're teaching, yeah. does that frame ever come to mind for you? I... I feel like it makes so much sense to me that it's articulated that way, that you act in a way that is sort of has faith that things are going to be okay. We lift each other up. We sort of like are in this together. We're coming from this place of love or we're sort of self-protective and worried about what's going to happen, worried about what's going to happen. And that makes us behave in these ways that are less generous and kind. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know that those, the way of framing it sort of pops up for me as I'm teaching or playing or whatever, but it's like, oh, right. Love and fear. And, and what, and if we, we look at the world, I think that, it's a, there's a clear mapping there, right? sort yeah. of like politics and and what we're what we're in for and how we show up for each other. And it's either in a, from a place of generosity and like, hey, we're here we are on this earth, or it's like you're my you're my competition and I'm going to mm-hmm. take care of my own. Yeah, and it could be that improv is the how. So you mm-hmm. you walk through the door with your love or your fear, and then how do you fear or how do you love mm-hmm. is then by applying the things learned and then internalize an improvisation Mm -hmm. so it's not you know mindfulness is it's uh it's more passive than active in my mind but it's Mm. it's like mindfulness to what end how are you actively in your mindfulness i'm in as a consequence of being mindful i'm doing this in a way totally that then is hopefully received as loving by another person or witnessed as loving by an audience but even more than that a consequence of being witnesses loving can be funny or or oh or yeah. emotional mm-hmm. reaction mm-hmm. from them and i think the proposition of is this loving is this fearful and uh, one of my favorite ideas of dell was uh, our job is to enchant and horrify hmm. because that's life so that's just to me an elevated state of love and fear um, and what we do is create tension for an audience regardless of how we're improvising mm-hmm. We're, you, you know, the, the pretense that we're going to make something up 
and to some degree or other be aware of it or not aware of it, aware of the audience or not aware of it, but we have the audacity to stand here and make shit up and you paid for this. There's, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Glorious. And there's tension in the premise. Yeah. <laughs> it's that's like, it. You're going to what? How? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and at this point I've been doing improv for 41 years or something, but it's like, like that I improvise, that I teach, that I direct, that I'm here talking. This is all actively love. Mm -hmm. And so, Am I mindful that that's love? No, usually not. I'm just, I'm just locked into you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. It's I love. There's. I. You said something just earlier. I mean, you said actually. So, Joe mm. and I got coffee just before this, just before being here, and like several things you said or did several <laughs> things that I was like, ah, oh, that's there it is. <laughs> but one of them, speaking of this, is like I don't go to places. I go to people. And I love that. Oh, yeah. You're talking about traveling because you travel so much, yeah. so much, right? Yeah, yeah. Festivals and improv companies and teaches and workshops and shows all over the world. Yeah. And I just love this idea of like, yeah, I'm in places, but I go to people. That's it. And the yeah. thing, the thing that I go to do is, well, let me, let me plug into your little piece of life. That's it. Let me, let me plug into your little piece of life and see what your little rhythm is today. Yeah. And then that's the good stuff. Yeah. And I just love that. And so this idea of like, I go for love. It's not like, oh, good. Check that country off my list it's like who are these people right. yeah like, what is this life life energy that i can just like get a taste of and, and contribute and share, to and yeah. share yeah. with and, yeah, yeah. and understand yeah it's so cool it's interesting what you were saying about mindfulness uh not necessarily being loving i th i think a lot of people think of it that way there's a distinction that i sometimes make in the teaching that i do that i've learned from the teachers i've had or i've experienced which is to say distinction between attention and mindfulness mm -hmm. and that the attention is kind of this raw thing mm -hmm. that you can turn in any number of directions but that mm -hmm. mindfulness necessarily has a component of kindness and mm -hmm. curiosity to it mm -hmm. and if that's not there it's not mindfulness and one of the images i don't know if we've talked about on the podcast but the chinese character for for mindfulness mm -hmm. includes the two characters for heart mm -hmm. and present Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so it's like, if you are present with your heart, your then you are heart. being mindful. Mm -hmm. And that really resonates for me. So it, it, the, the practice of, it's like you're going around to these different places and being present with people, showing up, you're fully yourself, tuned in, supporting them, is an act of love, is an act of mindfulness, that those two are intertwined. Yeah. Whereas if you just showed up with bare attention, like, okay, what's going on? What's this person doing? It might have more of an element of judgment or manipulation, or yeah, which in true mindfulness <clears throat> isn't there. Yeah, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, I track all of that. And there's two words I think you've just given me another, made me look at me and things I say uh, in a light. And I think I may have said this during the workshop, but I think in some contexts it's useful in improvisation to to uh, uh, slice and dice, to, to, to be aware of, um, are you reacting or are you responding? Mm -hmm. yeah. And so then the paying attention is the reacting, or the, the, uh, the reacting may or may not be with heart. Right. Um, and reacting is also useful in like short form games or quick adrenaline, like you know where the adrenaline is present and that's part of the ride of the tension you're putting them on. But then responsive, for me where I'm at, uh, in the ever-evolving me of me <laughs> is I'm really interested in the proposition in the last year or two to what degree am I listening to you while I'm talking? 
So I'm kind of interested in like, when I'm talking to you, am I listening to you 51% and talking 49%? Right. And, and that's... And by listening, you mean body language listening? I'm receiving you. Yes. I'm feeling you. I'm in, being affected by you. It's almost like one of those things where like, it, as you start to measure it or quantify it, you move farther away from what the truth of it is. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, and even in the, the conundrum, like asking yourself, am I being mindful or am I being loving is an ego proposition and it's not being loving or mindful. Yeah, that's great. This is our eternal question. Do you? Oh my God. Yes. Have I tapped into the grand thesis? Oh jeez. Well, do we, this is just one of the major questions that, that always comes up is like, but for what for? Like all the meditation and all the questioning and looking and paying attention. I'm like, but so then you're more mindful. So what? Like, where do we put it? Who do, who does, who gets it? What's the thing? And so this idea of like navel gazing versus pr- sort of productively working on being able to tell the difference between reacting and responding, knowing what, knowing what state you're in and understanding how, so, so that you can best sort of show up in a loving way. And participation in the world and with other people. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, it, yeah. and I mean, really part of that answer is just completely subjective. Mm-hmm. Like, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? What, who, who am I? What's what, why this? Yeah. And that's, and that's why I go to people, not places. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, the first thing that when you, when you reminded me, I said that like, I, I'm reminded of going to Bucharest in Romania and it's like there's this group and they opened the first long form improv theater in Bucharest. Cool. What? Yeah. And they had taken summer intensive in Chicago uh, at IO and I had coached their group and they had gone to annoyance. And so, and I want to go see these people again. And as soon as you arrive in Bucharest, you're like, oh, you're going to go to the river and the mountains, right? You have to see the Danube and you got to go down. You know, and I'm staying like in an Airbnb type place and there's, you know, six other residents and there's the common breakfast area and there's the old British people. Well, we're going to tour the Danube again. And yeah. We went down the, the East Shore. Now we're going down the West Shore and yeah. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And it's all this places they're going. Yeah. And I'm, and I, in my way, there's literally four British couples, probably 65 to 70 years old. And I go down and I'm just cracking, you know, kind of cracking with them. And they're a little too posh. To be open to that, and I recognize that, and, <laughs> and I haven't even had coffee, but I'm excited that there's four British people in Bucharest, mm. the place yeah. with this improv guy. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You know, and they're not—they don't see it quite that way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, how did I get to Bucharest? And there's an improvisation. <laughs> oh, but they, oh, they don't even care because because they're in the narrative of they're, they're going of to their, their logistics. Going to yeah. their they're stuff, in the, right. they're present with their logistics. They're doing their vacation, and yeah. anything they experience is relative to a point of logistic yeah. uh, being. Yes, and um, and so and it's and that that kept coming up. You yeah. must go to the river. You must go to the mountains. You know, I sort of think I am at the river. I am at the mountains. Yeah. They're right here. Yeah. And and I'm like God. I'm a hippie. Oh yeah. my fucking god. I'm like I'm a fucking hippie. Yeah. Like, listen, metaphor boy. Yeah, right. Maybe go see a mountain or a river. A real mountain. A real fucking mountain. Yeah. A yeah. real fucking. And it's like why why don't I do that? I that's not what I'm doing. Yeah. Hmm. Um. And so you know you know so I meet these people and I you know I'm invasive for an Eastern European or for a Baltic country. Like I'm an invasive person and and like a piece of mindfulness is. Um, after Romania is, uh, uh, Bulgaria, 
And I'm there with Jill Bernard, and we're trying to teach emotional presence and vulnerability. Mm. And then, boy, they are not getting it. But they have this capacity. There's embedded in there is like the Russian theatrical capacity, yeah, but deep. vulnerability is not on the menu. Uh-huh. Mm. And at one point, I was I was just teaching like an emotional listening kind of you know some of my little misery stuff. Yeah. And I was like, what What's the deal with vulnerability here? It seems like you all have a difficult time with vulnerability. And one guy, Ilion. He says, uh, oh, it's Bulgaria. Uh, vulnerability gets you killed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Fair Different enough. context okay. here. Yeah, right. Great. Well, then what is, what is, what is another thing that might look like vulnerability? Yeah, right. Can we call it a different? Can we do How it about a different let's way? take long pauses. Yeah, right. Let's work on long pauses and eye contact. Yes. Then we'll just do that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's intense. Wow. Yeah. It reminds me. What you were just describing reminds me of something you mentioned in the workshop on Saturday was this distinction that you made between engineer brain and artist brain. Mm-hmm. Um, will you riff on that a little bit? Like, well, mm-hmm. what's what are those things and how do they show up? Um, first of all, neither one of them is even empirically accurate. <laughs> but it's, it. it's the, what you're about to hear is not true. What you're about to hear is not true. The ending is the beginning. The beginning is the ending. <laughs> Nothing matters. It's all right point. and it's all wrong. <laughs> everything's right. Everything's wrong. Um, it it's the the brain that quantifies or the brain that is the brain the brain of being or the brain of measuring mm. is probably better. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not helpful to a group of people who are there to take an improv class. Mm-hmm. Um, and so engineer is something that engineers know that they're engineers. In simple terms, the measuring the measuring brain is where our words come from, is where our, our words are generated from, is where our ego lives, is it's our auditory brain that stores the feedback and files that we've received in life. And this is kind of a redux of Jungian psychology. Um, so that, and what I say in class is, the part of our brain that gives us words, gives us speaks, uh, gives us speaks, gives, gives <laughs> really, really good speaks. Good speaks, good speaks, live. Good speaks um, is, uh, that's our HR department. And so our mm. ego lives there, our inner critic lives there, and all the audio files of everybody we've ever disappointed in our life live ah, there, yeah. just waiting to be triggered by any who the fuck knows what, yeah. so that we're reminded at any point in our day that we're a terrible person yeah. right. and not worthy of this. And we yeah. don't deserve, if this is good, it's, that's be thankful because you really don't deserve this. Mm-hmm. Borrowed time, yeah. And it's the part of our brain that knows that at the same time, we all know, like, right now part of our brain knows that we are three people alone together so i'm alone with the two of you you're alone with the two of us you're alone Mm -hmm. with the two of us we're alone together that's Mm -hmm. part of our reality and our truth and so in that part of our brain that knows we're alone we're fearful we're Mm -hmm. measuring we're not good enough we're you know and i there's other realities besides a catholic upbringing so (laughs) i'm speaking subjectively (laughs) and then the other part of our brain the part of our brain that is is the visual part, is the emotional part, and that's why I start with emotions uh, as sort of a platform and and say, you know, let's play with the idea of to know how you are is to know who you are, and then to what degree do you want to put labels on that? Do, what do you, you want to call, if you, you know, take a breath, close your eyes, okay, I have a feeling that I would call happy. Okay, why am I happy? It's my birthday. And then all your, the part of the HR department wants to give you a context for why you feel this. Yeah. Because our visceral emotions are in there, our visceral wants and needs and animal lusts are in mm. there. And that's the part of our brain that knows we're all part of one thing. 
and it doesn't use words. It just knows that we're the three of us are just part of one thing here. Mm-hmm. And then our calibration measuring mind is analyzing that good, bad, right, wrong, like me, don't like me, you know, all of Where that. Where do I fit? How does it work? What's the system? Yeah. And to the part of our brain that knows that we are truly together and part of one, you know, part of one entity that is part of one entity that is, you know, this, everything is all one thing. Um you know, our HR department, our left brain is what evolved us away from the other similar species and our self-awareness and our need to define why and what's the purpose of life and um, and our ego, which needs to know that there's something beyond this and there's an afterlife we all go to or whatever comforts you. Um, the, 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 but there's a part that's raw and true and whatever and wants to have sex and wants to murder people and wants mm. to all of that. Mm-hmm. Um that's to me, if we're going to do organic improv or duos or just do like a mono scene and it's, and why I love playing just like an honest hour, an honest hour in one place with two people for me personally, the selfish reason is because I have this giant great hall of repression inside of me that really, truly the only safe place for me to have access to all of that is on stage for an hour Mm -hmm. or for a specific amount of time. Because there's a container that allows it to to be revealed or there's a safe container yeah. to what degree is it safe i can use my measuring uh my measuring stick for and uh who am i playing with yeah. and how much and how much of me will i allow this person access to yeah. and i'm very lucky to have you know patty styles i will give all of myself to jill bernard i will give all of myself to mm-hmm. mark sutton i will give most of myself to <laughs> rosowski i is rosowski's like there's a there's a band it, it's music more than emotion mm. for instance but i really seek these days in the last 5 years i've probably got 12 or 13 regular duo partners but especially in the last 3 to 5 years i find myself seeking to play more with women um, I trust women more generally with my mm-hmm. emotions. I know, like, I'm a I'm a more feminine player than masculine player. I'm more tuned into process than product. Mm. Um, and I find that uh, women have. I think there's something about estrogen <clears throat> that that what comes with that is a greater capacity for emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And I think testosterone does not have that. <laughs> Just on a chemical level, mm-hmm. uh, gender non-attached or whatever. But that's, I'm interested in like, what's the connection? How can I be in process with somebody who's in process? When we're purely organically improvising, our product is our process. Mm-hmm. What you are here to see is this moment and this moment and this moment and this mm. moment. And so the, <clears throat> the, the outcome of what this will be, that's for the poster and for the press release. Mm-hmm. And then it's, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, when Patty and I played in Greece... And we we did that. We just did like a twenty eight minute show, and everybody's crying at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And then we go to Finland right after that. Trent and Finland heard the news and saw the stuff from Greece. And when we arrived in Finland, Patty Patty Styles, Joe Bill, our play. They're the duo that will make you cry. Oh boy! And Patty was livid. Yeah, like just oh, sure. fucking livid. Yeah. And we ne- we never even said these words to each other. And I was I was annoyed. But that's Patty and that's me. And yeah. it's and both of our emotional reactions really were because of his attachment to an outcome. Yeah, yeah. totally. And that's yeah. death. This is what you're going to get. Yeah. And that's also, and I love Trent, and that's, but that's Trent as an improviser. Mm-hmm. He's a short former who does long form, but he's attached to outcome. Mm-hmm. And he's a festival producer. Of course, he's attached to an outcome. Sure. 
and bring us there. And for me, it's like, describe us any way you want. I don't care. We're going to do what we do. We're going to do what we do. And it's like, I don't, I don't believe in astrology, but I can speak it. Uh, because it's useful sometimes, but I'm a bull, I'm a Taurus, and I'm going to go and I'm going to stand in a pasture. I'm, I'm, I'm Ferdinand, I'm going to stand under a tree, and if a bee stings me, I'm going to jump around. And Patty's a lion, and fucking lions roar, right. and lions don't want to be contextualized. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, and so, why Patty and I, a reason Patty and I get along is we're each allowed to have our own reaction to any given input. Yeah. And we're, we are in harmony with each other. We have zero interest in being in unity about anything. The same. The, yeah. yeah. It, it, it sounds to me like there's a, a parallel. I don't know if it's exact, so maybe it's a Venn diagram. Hmm. What you're describing, the engineering brain and the artist brain and how that shows up in improv uh, with thinking mind and sensing mind and that for me thinking mind is like evaluating judging planning it's the part of the mind that would the mm-hmm. kind of mind that would get us into anxiety or regret and mm-hmm. ruminating on any sort of things mm-hmm. sensing mind is what's happening right now and so that's why in a, in a meditation you might focus on the breath or on the contact with the floor or Body what sounds are you hearing yeah and that those two can't operate at the same time and if it feels like they are, it's because we're toggling back and forth. That's right. But that functionally, mm-hmm. those two parts of the brain can't operate at the same time. The improv you're describing that you love to do, mm. it's more, maybe more estrogenic, <laughs> Yeah, is, is this sensing mode of what's happening right now mm-hmm. without having to race into some other judgment of is it good or not. Or, you know, or decide what it is. This will make you cry. Well, yeah. that's the judging mind. Yeah. You know, or I, thinking mind. Yeah, and um, like this is where you know I get like it's not anal, but like really specific about semantics. Yes, and I don't know if it's because of the now proven bullshit Myers Briggs uh, assessment, but <laughs> I like I like intuiting more than sensing, and maybe that's because of uh, psychedelics, hmm. uh, because there's sensing, sensing I sense is. Part of sensing is tactile, mm-hmm. and intuiting is more that it's an experience that's maybe more ethereal. Or and all I can do is speak subjectively. So I mean, all a teacher can do is m- try to make the best sense to yourself, so that you can open up the doors and lead people to whatever their word is, right? Right. So, this is a really cool distinction. That this is mm-hmm. yeah, it's important too. I think so, and I don't. I'm not studied enough. But hey, we're here, so now let's do it. Yeah. Let's figure it out. Like it, it's, for me, intuiting is, well, if I take one step back, so I, if, I, if I do meditation, I, I focus on breath, or I breathe in love and breathe out fear, or I do witnessing meditation of emotions. Um, because of how I was brought up in my experience with you know violence and da-da-da-da-da-da, like I say, I've told my shrink, it's like, I don't do sadness, I don't do anger, I don't do grieving. It's uh, th- these are these are things that visit me, but they pass through me very quick and perhaps into the warehouse. Mm. I've had a new shrink for a year and I love her, but one of the things is I have a very I've developed a very specific type of coping mechanism that I kind of equate to like an emergency room doctor, and it's tied to my mother having a nervous breakdown in front of me when I was like five or six years old. Mm that manifested in just like horrific sobbing. 
and uh, with some kind of babble and like incomprehensible uh, speak. Mm-hmm. And then it would swing like a pendulum to like manic laughter oh, wow. and babble. And I'm five or six, and so I don't have the capacity to take this in. But what this body did was I never experienced fear. I just experienced not that one, mm-hmm. this one. They're both not great, but this sobbing, crying. No, thank you. Nope. Mm-hmm. And so it's like the veil came down, and I coped my way into thinking I had control to keep mm-hmm. this part of the binary here and get that part of the binary out. Mm-hmm. And so an ongoing question in therapy is like, was there was there at least fear that triggered me there? Was there fear there? Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting. Like I've like I've just had to admit it's like yes, that was that was probably traumatic. I can't even say definitively it was. Sure. Uh, but other things that people associate with being traumatic that I've been through, I don't associate with being traumatic. I associate with, there's another example of when I was my emergency room doctor. Mm. And and I find that... Just like get in and take care of it. It's not even, it's not sensing, it's my intuition puts me there. Uh-huh. It, it's, it's uh, I don't sense danger all of a sudden, oh, now I'm here. Mm-hmm. And I'm here and I know what this is. And, and I know I, I'm either in control or I'm giving myself a sense of control that I have or don't have. It doesn't matter. All that matters is my subjective calm. Mm-hmm. And that's also in reaction to the threat of violence being the thing that kept all the kids in line and then, like, you know, having the shit kicked out of me a couple of times. Right. Um, in, like, the greatest episode of my dad beating the shit out of me, I was present in that example without fear, but I knew contextually he was putting on a show for the other kids because I had gotten out of line. Jeez. So my immediate instinct was the humor of let's put on a good show here. Wow. And in doing that, I didn't feel when he punched me. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I was, it's like, oh, he's, fuck, he's choking me now. Nice. Oh, nice move. Nice. That, that'll and, play well. And, it, and he like kind of threw me down on the floor. I'm like, there's five steps. I could just go down to the, let's go. Wow. The staging of this It fight. was the staging of this abuse I received, fuck. which I still, you know, my, my shrink is like, Joe, that's abuse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's child abuse. I'm like, yeah, and... It was a show. And it was quite a theatrical you know, moment. And, yeah. And it was wow. like, and, and all these things, if you list them and you said, how would, uh, she says, how would you like it if somebody did this to your child? Well, then I just fucking cry for five minutes. Yeah. But it's like, I can, it's like, I, I it's so much easier for me to cry for other people yeah. and, and to be, than for myself. Yeah. Because it's, I don't do, I don't do sadness. Right. So you, mm. there's this out of body, like, oh, look what's happening. Here's what's happening. That it's it's like you were witnessing yourself in that moment, in those moments. Yeah, yeah. And I don't even know how it ended. Yeah. Like I, there wasn't a relief. Like I don't know how that scene ended. Wow. And it was, you know, but for me, it was like my first act of defiance. It was my, it was my first act of I'm, a, I can survive this because I'm an improviser. But I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that thought. Mm-hmm. But that's. Uh, I, I can be a part of performing this moment. I can be a part you. of performing yeah. and, and I can be, and there's been times like I've been, I've been sitting in a cafe when somebody's gotten hit by a car and I'm up and I'm right by that person. And I'm, you know, I don't, I barely know CPR, but it's like, I, I'm drawn to that. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's, a, it's, it's not even a hyper calmness. It's just calm. Mm-hmm. And it's a really interesting question of, is that being in the moment or is that, 
a healthy or necessary dissociation from the moment and getting that moment. meta space to be able to see it so you, so it's not so emotionally traumatic and a super wise survival technique. And, right? and is that a reaction or is that a response? Right. Yeah, I love it. So I think, well, first off, thank you for sharing that because that's mm-hmm. super intense mm-hmm. and really powerful example of you're the welcome. stuff we're talking about. So my my therapist has encouraged me. Yeah. <laughs> Literally three months ago, I said, "Fuck, do I have to talk about all this shit?" <laughs> yeah, releases the energy. And, and right, she man? said, "She said, mm, you're gonna find now that uh, that you're gonna ask yourself that question just before you do." Yeah. Right. I'm like, oh god damn it. Well, here we are. There's thank a, you. Yeah. You're. Thank, thank you. you for being the receiver. Yeah. yeah. Well, but so the the. I think that those intuitions or those thoughts or those meta leaps can come out of sensing mind. That sensing mind isn't mm-hmm. just what am I feeling in my fingertips or what am I smelling or tasting or mm-hmm. seeing, mm-hmm. but that it's something that is arising naturally in the moment. So I also think of like an improv intuitive, where does an idea come from? Yeah, that can, that can come out of sensing mind if it's not the judging, planning, evaluating mode, mm-hmm. but there's something organic, uh, that's the word you use, Joe, mm-hmm. that arises organically in us and comes through us and is that life force that has something to say or something to offer, and there it appears, that that sensing mind, sensing mind isn't just limited to the five senses. Mm-hmm. So in my world, that intuition could, could fit in that. Yeah, that makes sense. And when we're doing these, like the emotion exchanges, right? Right. Yeah, yeah we project emotion to receive emotion. So really now the proposition is, can you feel a sensation that's elevated outside of the normal experience that you generate or discover for yourself? Yeah. Uh, uh, I'll leave the neuroscience of that alone for a second. But, and not just present it, but can you be aware of your mind's need to put a label on it to analyze that and just let that float back to the mm, wall of we'll yes. see mm-hmm. and then take this feeling that's not controlled by the HR department and take from the other person experience. You know, I say take because it's aggressive, but it's like, I'm, I'm not just showing you this. I'm taking from you through this so that you can inform this. This being an emotion in a scene. Yeah. And in effect, it's you give me the label. You give me the why. Mm-hmm. You like this is the best gift I can give you is like I'm not just showing you something I'm showing you something and I'm already taken from you mm-hmm. so no matter what you do we're fine because you can't help but give me something because that's what I'm here to do is mm-hmm. to receive from you yeah and in a way uh, I, part of me wonders like is that cheating <laughs> 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 or is that I don't know you mean that you're taking you're taking it from somebody else yeah because it's like. Because I put people in, like, it's an obliged progression of process. And so, I mean, really none of us can teach anybody to improvise. Like, we just get shit out of, we help them get the shit out of their way that's not improvising. Yeah, right. And, and improvising is like, in, improvising is like an, acti- uh, an active, collaborative, mindful meditation. Yeah. yeah. In a duo context and perhaps more. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's like, that's really easy for me to go, yep. To. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Totally. And so then the question is, so who are you in that? And if one way to look at that is who I am is how I am. So how am I in this? Well, am I loving? Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm, I'm really here and I'm really being loving. Now am I being loving in declaration or am I being loving in response or am I being loving in that I'm in everything with you? Mm-hmm. And I'm not thinking that when I'm improvising. I know that comes close to describing how I am when I improvise. But now I'm a teacher, so now how... 
how do I how do I invite people into a place where they can find some version of this, hoping they can, and also how dare I? Right. How dare I? All at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like I have much more confidence as a teacher than I do as an improviser. I have it's easier for me to hear you're a great teacher than to hear you're a great improviser. Because if somebody says you're a great improviser, I always think, well, we'll see. Yeah. Hmm. You're a great teacher. Well, I have evidence yeah. that I've affected people in a way that you, hmm. that I can measure feedback. Right. So the you made us cry at the theater isn't enough evidence for that? It's that that was a great show, right? Right? Like the thing about being a performer. Uh, my mind like, immediately goes, thank you, Patty. Uh-huh. Ah, so it wasn't you that did. No, I participated, I, I participated in... And I was a contributor in Patty being Patty, mm-hmm. right? Because because part of the I think part of the, so the the coping mechanism from the nervous breakdown or from the ass beating, part of the coping mechanism is detaching myself from the experience. Mm-hmm. So that's become a habit, mm-hmm. and then and that's where, you know, uh, be kind to yourself. Oh, I don't know How, why. What is that? Yeah, I'm, I've cut out carbs and sugars. That yeah. seems good enough. Yeah, right. <laughs> Start. I love thinking about what makes a person a great improviser because mm. I almost feel exactly the opposite. I feel so much more confidence in myself to show up as the kind of improviser that I want to be and, and way less confidence in myself as a teacher, even though mm. my, the feedback is always positive. People invite me back places. They want to take class, right? Like I have mm-hmm. all of this stuff, but I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how to fucking tell you to do this. I don't even know how to do this. Like I know pieces of it, but I, I, how, do, who, how do I have the answer? Yeah. But this question of what makes you a great improviser and maybe... Uh, a, de- a part of it is because I let my partner be the most them, be 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 most them, right? Show up most Patty like, yeah, and, and glean that thing, and that's what a powerful quality. And that's one of your skills as an improviser. You're saying is that you well, love- uh, well, Joe was just saying like oh, that was Patty, right? Like when you yeah, get this yeah. great response out of a show, it's like, well, I just show up and. And, and sort of support right. Patty being Patty. And it's like, what a great skill yeah. <laughs> to support yeah. somebody yeah. else being the most them, most them. And them. it doesn't discount her supporting me because I know she is. Yeah. But it's also like as an improviser, you walk on stage and if you're really like in service to the other person, your your measurement mind knows, of course, they're going to be in service to me. Mm-hmm. But then it's also the annoyance part of me, which is just like, uh, it's OK, you don't have to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to be fine. Yeah. Like one of the thing that Mark Sutton and I started preaching once we started doing Bass Prov, you know, this whole idea of like, make sure we take care of each other. Well, that's cool. Here's another thing. What if I'm fine? Uh-huh. What if you don't need to take care what if, of me? What if we're fine? Yeah. And there's no codependence here at all. That's really powerful. And that's all we're really, going to do is just go play. It's a really interesting. Makes, makes for a boldness that... And yeah. and then like are you loving or fearful? Or are you good or evil? Or are you you know whatever the fucking binaries and, are? And that you can be loving and not just here to take care of the other person. Like Completely. I'm I'm here and loving you from where I am, and I'm totally fine. So you do you, and we'll play together. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like such an interesting flip of take care of your partner. Yeah, it's it's a difference of like what do you need versus biscuits and gravy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like some biscuits and gravy. Yeah, here's what I got. Why I don't you know. Want it's here. Yeah. Because if you don't, I'll eat it. I love you. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And whatever your response is, we're off. Here that's we go. Good. That's yeah. then. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. You're responding to an offer that's, um, that is that came to me right now. Yeah. And then, like a side note of this is like the neuroscience of what is a decision versus what is a discovery is mm-hmm. like mm. of, of the millions of things they know a lot about and know nothing about at the same time. There's like I've gathered 
I've gathered enough evidence or I've read enough shit where I think they go along the same pathway. Mm. Um, but there's, you know, they still can't, they still don't know why we remember stuff. They still mm. don't, there's all this shit they don't remember. Yeah. But I, my, what I suspect is, is that the pathway of discovery is a decision pathway, but it bypasses the self-judgment part of ourself. So a discovery mm. is an insta instantaneous decision we make that's unencumbered by the self-judgmental bullshit we walk around with yeah. every day, and that's why it feels magical. Yeah. We and don't it's not have time for that because we're in this scene, yeah. or mm. we're in this game, mm. or we're building this story. That's so nice. Don't have time for it. Here's this. That's so nice. Oh, God. I love that. It's, if only it could always be that way. Right. <laughs>